Welcome to an honest conversation on health, serving up discussion and perspective about what health really is. Your health, your responsibility. There's simply no way around it. It's time to own it. You have what it takes. All you need is the knowledge. That's where I come in. I'm your host, Julie Brown. I love this shit. With a nerd's eye view, I'll share the knowledge and help you bring it to life with conscious action, love, and laughter. You've got this. Welcome, everyone. I have a very special episode for you today. Dr. Laikwa Kadri is joining us from India, Bangalore, India. She is a PhD in biotechnology, an assistant pr professor for a decade in immunology and cell science at a university level. She worked in a research lab as a re senior research scientist working on diabetes and cancer care specific to immune system. So her knowledge in the immune system is extraordinary. And she has been posting tremendously intellectual, reflective information on LinkedIn, which is where I first met her acquaintance. I'm really grateful for her to be here today, especially because I think with the timing of the 5 to 11 vaccine for children, Laikwa has some very important information to relay about the superpowers of mucosal health in children, and also some very practical tips and tricks for all of us to take care of our mucosal system. We will go into details that may feel challenging to absorb. At each point that she offers us this technical information, I do my best to summarize it in ways that might make it easier to consume. But it's important to hear all of the details because you are capable of learning about it if it's something you choose to. And I want it to be available for everyone. Without further ado, we have Dr. Laikwa Kadri here today to talk about initially how a virus enters the nose and its journey down and what it encounters in the body. Now, as the virus first infects the upper respiratory tract, the immune response is induced in the nasopharyngeal, both across the nasal epithelium and tonsils, which are referred to as nasopharynx-associated lymphoid tissues. So this NALT is present both in children's, adults, and younger population. Now following the nas nasopharynx is the bronchus. Now this part of the respiratory system is connected to lungs. Now the bronchus associated lymphoid tissue is not present in adults. This is one of the you know, uh, very important point which we all are missing. Now the, this bronchial immune response might contribute to great resistance of younger children and adolescents to COVID. So this part of immune system has to be studied in detail to know more about the immune system, the mucosal immune system of uh, children's and adolescents. Now these inductive sites generate IgA antibodies. Now these IgA antibodies and IgG antibodies are the main antibodies which are produced in the initial stages of mucosal immunity. And these, uh, you know, B cells producing IgA and IgG, they get matured in the tonsils. 
and enter into the lymphatic system and differentiate in the peripheral lymphoid tissues. So this is a brief about how the viral, the initial viral clearance happens in adolescents and children's. Okay, I'm gonna summarize that. That is a mouthful, it's awesome. And as someone who's been studying the immune system and particularly the, the mucosal immune system and all the associated lymphoid tissue, I'm gonna just bring a quick summary to the audience. So when we have this mucosal membrane that lines our nose and throat and down into our lungs, in behind that initial membrane, we have all of this associated lymphoid tissue. So we can call that, as, as uh, Dr. Laika says, the NALT, the nasal associated, nasal pharyngeal associated lymphoid tissue. And down when we get into the bronchi, which is the first place that the tree, the upside down tree of our trachea, our throat down into our lungs, it splits into two branches. Children have this very great superpower of having bronchial associated lymphoid tissue, which have a huge component of their resilience to airborne pathogens. We're yes. missing this in the discussion. I'm not seeing this anywhere, what, that anyone's yes. talking about, particularly the bronchial associated lymphatic or lymphoid tissue. Yeah, what happens is now once the virus enters into uh, through the nasopharynx and enters into the bronchi, bronchi, the virus encounters the IgA-dominated environment. Now, this IgA is a neutralized, it is a non-inflammatory uh, antibody which is first, you know, uh, which first comes in contact with the virus. And if the virus is of less load, this interaction is sufficient for neutralization of virus and clearing it from the system. Now, this particular process is a non-symptomatic process which occurs in, you know, children's and adolescents. Now, uh, this IgA, since it is a non-inflammatory antibody which comes in contact with the virus in the initial first regions of the mucosal lining, uh, these patients do not suffer from any of the symptoms of COVID. Though they are, have very less viral load in the initial surfaces, it gets cleared off. Now, if the viral load is little large, it reaches the terminal airways and alveoli and enters into an environment dominated by IgG antibody. Now, since IgG is an inflammatory antibody, it its mode of action is inflammatory. The severe pathology of COVID is triggered in terminal airways of lungs. So this, these patients will, you know, they will suffer from mild symptoms. So these mild symptoms will have activation of certain, you know, inflammatory molecules, and then the viral loads will be cleared off. Now, if the viral load is little higher, Maybe if uh, uh, the viral load is in elderly people where they have more of ACE2 receptor expressions on their epithelial cells, the binding of virus will be more and the immune response will be higher. This is so critical. I just want to highlight this. Thank you. This is 
So if we look at, if I bring my, you know, immune system as a house into the picture here, the yes. front door of the, of the immune system is really this upper airway, the mouth nasopharyngeal into the upper bronchial airways yes. in children and younger people who are healthy, this IgA. So an antibody means the, it, it, it it neutralizes the offending pathogen. The pathogen comes in and our body presents something to get rid of it. And this IgA is not an antibody that needed to have seen this virus before. It's part of our innate system. It will just um, deal with whatever it finds, right? So at the yes. front door, the IgA gets involved. It's non-inflammatory, which is why there's no symptoms. Yes, Correct? right. And if the viral load, which means how many viruses are knocking on this front door, is sufficient to get past this first line of defense, and the virus makes its way deeper into the system, into the little grapes at the end of the branches, the leaves on the upside down tree, if you will, we can say that now it's in the living room. And at right. this level, in the living room, it's met by IgG antibodies which is going to create an inflammatory response in order to clear the virus, which means we have symptoms. Yes. And the other important thing that you mentioned was the ACE2 receptor. So for those of you listening that haven't, you know, got this, this detail into your mind yet, ACE2 is like the front is the door through which this virus um, binds to a cell. So ACE2 is the gateway into the cell for SARS-CoV-2, right. which means the more doors you have on your cells to welcome this virus in, the more difficult your process is going to be to get them out. Children right. have less ACE2 receptors, so they see less binding and less gateways, so their immune response is therefore required to be much lower. The older we get, yes. the more ACE2 receptors we have, the bigger the immune response, because the more viruses have come into the cell and we have more symptoms. Right. Yes? Yes, this is absolutely correct. Okay. <laughs> immune system as a house. <laughs> immune system as a house, right. <laughs> okay, so... We have an understanding of why mucosal health is so important. We have yes. an understanding of why children are so special in their, their resilience and in their superpowers of mucosal health. Can you maybe contribute to our listeners an understanding of how they can really maintain the health of their mucosal membranes? Now, this can be achieved by educating children about oral and nasal hygiene. And also one of the major methods by which this can be achieved is by keeping the mucosal lining uh, of nasopharynx and bronchi hydrated. Now, this hydration part is a very crucial part in children. So usually because of the dust, more pathogens exposure in crowded areas. So their uh, mucosal lining tend to dehydrate they have to be intact so because of uh, uh, you know a deficiency in certain micro and macro nutrients their mucosal linings are compromised now if 
these mucosal linings have to be kept healthy they have to be hydrated now nasal saline is one of the important you know uh, solution which can be used in children's to keep their nasopharynx and their oropharynx clear from all this you know unwanted pathogens and dust particles so this dust particles and unwanted pathogens will dehydrate the mucosal lining if they are exposed continuously to these things their mucosal lining will be dehydrated so keeping their mucosal lining hydrated is one of the best methods to keep it healthy when people hear this i think a lot of people will think okay so make sure they drink water and yes oral hydration by drinking water is important but i think that what you're getting at is actually more the the steaming or or flushing with saline is that correct yes that's yeah. right okay so what other ways would you suggest and what specific when you when you mention like a macro and a micro nutritional deficiencies that would you know leave them the mucosal membranes more vulnerable which one specifically would you highlight minerals like sulfur uh, potassium magnesium and then vitamins like vitamin c vitamin d most important yeah and zinc and zinc, zinc yeah is one, yes one of the important uh, micronutrients for keeping the junctions of these layers intact so zinc is one of the very important uh, nutrient you know, whose deficiency will lead to the uh, you know uh, junctions to be inflamed and then uh, the whole layer being inflamed wherein it will cause if the inflammation is in the upper respiratory tract it will cause respiratory disorders and if the inflammation is in the gastrointestinal tract it will cause you know all uh, uh, bowel related uh, you know symptoms so to keep all this uh, the lining of the respiratory and digestive tract intact these micro and macronutrients are very essential in children's adolescents and elderlies all all age groups so they have to maintain this macro and mic micronutrients to keep their mucosal lining healthy zinc actually is so yes, critical the, for all airborne pathogens because it also has a role in reducing replication of the virus once it's inside the virus. cell yes yes it's absolutely correct zinc is one of the robust required uh, micronutrients uh, which keeps the zonulin protein which binds the junction between the cells intact so if the zinc is not available for this the zonulin uh, zonulin proteins which binds the cells which forms a junction between the cells to form the lining it gets detached so once these cells get detached what happens the inflammation increases and you will have uh, mostly the leaky gut is seen in this kind of patients who are deficient in zinc and vitamin d yeah i was going to segue right there because i think a lot of listeners will kind of be wondering about what does this look like in the gut and that is really the leaky gut um yes. type scenarios which where we end up with all kinds of other problems and your body starts to um you know really become almost sensitive to anything you sensitive. eat because it's crossing the the mucosal membrane of the gut now where it shouldn't be 
Yes, exactly. So once uh, the protein starts, uh, you know, leaking through these junctions, the epithelial junctions, so it will cause uh, uh, autoimmune responses. So mm -hmm. again, autoimmune disease is one of the side effects of leaky gut. Mm -hmm. The IBS, oh. the inflammatory mm -hmm. bowel syndrome, leads to, uh, you know, many kinds of autoimmune disorders, which are which we mostly see in. Uh, you know, later on in adolescent, because in children's uh, the BALT that is bronchi uh, bronchial associated lymphoid tissue is more robust, where it clears off all the uh, pathogens in the upper uh, uh, respiratory tract. It doesn't allow it to enter into the bowel system, so their bowel is more intact. So as we are, you know, uh, aged. So as we cross maybe 30, 25, 30 years, our IBS is very prominent mm -hmm. and leaky gut is very prominent. So now uh, we are seeing in uh, leaky gut and IBS also in obese children. So obese children also have this problem of leaky gut and IBS syndromes now. They are more prone to autoimmunity uh, than uh, the normal kids who ha whose BMI is lower. So this is one of the reasons. So obesity is also one of the factors for inflammatory bowel syndrome, leaky gut, connected to autoimmune diseases in children. And and really, there's there's a root cause in there with the health of the mucosal lining. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So this yeah. mucosal lining will, yeah, this this runs from yeah, the nasopharynx through the bronchial membrane and then enters through the gut, gastrointestinal tract and the urinary tract. So all these, you know, the symptoms connected to these are in turn connected to the mucosal health. Mm -hmm. Well, thank goodness the children have this superpower. Um, and that we know that there are ways that we can support our mucosal health and that when we treat early, specifically when we can address viral load at the mucosal barrier level in the nasal pharyngeal pathways, we can have a really big impact on helping our body shut this down at the front door. Right. That is exactly true, uh, Julie, because if uh, the viral loads are cleared initially in the uh, uh, nasopharyngeal and oropharyngeal uh, layers, then the viral uh, virus does not enter the uh, bloodstream. So viremia is not seen. So that is viremia wherein uh, you have activation of adaptive immune response. Okay. If the viral load is cleared within the immune, innate immune responses in the initial stages, so we, we, we uh, don't have to uh, you know, see the severe cases. Mm -hmm. The patient does not enter into the severe uh, syndromes. So this way, keeping your innate immune response healthy will, you know, avoid any kind of further re autoimmune reactions in the blood. Okay, well, that is an excellent, excellent thing to highlight. Two questions. One, I want to, I want to segue from there into an intramuscular vaccine for a, an an oral um, nasal pathogen like this. But first, I just wanted to quickly ask, what is the age at which the 
bronchi bronchial associated lymphoid tissue disappears. Like we know it's there in children and not there in older adults. When does that sort of begin to fade? So it's basically uh, uh, BALT, that is your bronchial immune uh, uh, lymphoid tissues. So this gets uh, weakened uh, from the age of around 12 years. Around 12, so, yeah. Yeah, around 12 years. Uh, mostly the NALT, NALT, the nasal associated lymphoid tissue becomes more developed and the bronchial uh, associated lymphoid tissue gets disappeared, disappeared in the sense it gets weakened. So okay. uh, the initial uh, NALT becomes more highlighted in adults. Now, uh, there is one more interesting thing that I wanted to highlight in this. Now, in the, the immune system development, so immune system is not developed in the from birth. The brain and the immune system are not fully formed at birth in children. But they continue to mature in response to the postnatal environment the two-way interaction between the brain and the immune system makes it possible for the childhood psychological stress to affect the immune system development. So this also is one reason where uh, you can have a robust BALT, that is bronchial associated lymphoid tissue developed in children who have less psychological stress. And if the psychological stress is higher, their bronchial associated lymph, uh, lymphatic tissues will be weakly developed. So this also has an effect on the development of uh, BALT in children. Now, as the immune system develops, it affects the brain development and its function. So it is a two-way pathway, two-way interaction between the brain and the immune system. So the brain develops, has an impact on development of immune system. This development of immune system has an impact on, on the development of the brain of a developing child. Now this branch of study is called as psychoneuroimmunology of early life. This is a very important field of science correlating to inflammation with clinical outcomes in later stages of life. So what we are seeing in COVID uh, there are certain people who show very uh, prominent inflammation and severe uh, symptoms, but there are some who doesn't show severe symptoms. So this is basically associated with their, with their uh, childhood traumas. So this childhood trauma correlates with the inflammation, which may be severe or less severe in the later stages of their life when they come across this uh, external stresses like viruses, virus infection, or any other, you know, uh, physical or a psychological stress. Now, this study highlights the importance of remediate the effect of childhood trauma before the onset of clinical symptoms. So, if they are diagnosed with this uh, childhood traumas before they come across of any of these kind of stresses, it can be remediated as we have spoken just before by uh, you know, natural interventions and 
supplements so if it is remediated then they do not show higher level of inflammations when they come in contact with this external stresses any external physical stress or psychological stress or pathological stress will not increase their inflammation will not increase the severity of their disease so this is one of the points i wanted to highlight and it, yeah oh my god that is like a mic drop moment because okay so i want to just recap that and i want you to correct me if i've got it wrong okay yeah sure the you know the two-way road between the immune system and the brain development of children because children are born i mean we all know this when children are born as infants they would not survive without us their brain is clearly not developed right it continues to develop throughout yes. many many years and so this ongoing bi-directional two-way road development between the immune system and the brain is interrupted the health of its development is interrupted by childhood traumas that lead later in life to being susceptible to such things like viruses because the inflammatory response is distorted essentially right so when we see like you know one thing i've been really wondering about is for the most part throughout covid we were seeing situations where people with a lot of comorbidities, people who were unwell, people who were elderly, people who had high ACE2, you know, receptor domains were, were more vulnerable. But we have also seen some young people who were otherwise deemed healthy have yes. very big inflammatory reactions. And so I've wondered, you know, were they deficient in certain micro macronutrients? It's possible because we're not testing for that really. But now you've added for me this other layer that I hadn't seen where the childhood traumas actually made them vulnerable to viral episodes later in life. Exactly. Exactly. Wow. So that just kind of really is quite profound because we're watching children literally go through, well, we are in a collective trauma in a way I've never seen in my lifetime where everyone around the globe is experiencing COVID in, in different ways at different times with different stresses. But our children, particularly in some nations where there's some very strict restrictions and lockdowns and masking requirements and a lot of fear, yes. the children are experiencing a collective trauma right now. So what is the consequence down the road for them in terms of their vulnerability to future pathogens? Yes, of course, I just spoke regarding this psychoneuroimmunology in the early life. So this is what we are subjecting our children to. So when we are subjecting our children to a stress, a external stress, any kind of external stress, it may be a psychological stress, physical stress, or a, you know any kind of stress uh, through viruses, I mean, any pathogen, antigen, uh, or dust, particles, these are also a stress hmm. for the children's. So when we are subjecting our children's to such kind of stress in the initial early stages of life, it will hinder their development of brain. Their brain, brain development will be hindered. So this is one of the uh, you know, main uh, points which every 
individual every government official when they are mandating anything on children they have to keep in mind that they are not uh, you know putting a stress on the children's either immunological stress psychological stress or a physical stress will be uh, you know it will be a bad outcome for our future generations it should not be mandated there should be no mandates for children's children's need to be educated they should know how to handle their you know pathogen loads they they should be educated about their immune stress that by inhaling pathogens or by or by taking in uh, you know any kind of uh, uh, inhaling any kind of thing will have a bad effect on their immune system it should be educated to them not mandated so any kind of psychological stress it, it will create a psychological stress for the children so this is a very bad outcome for our future generations so well this i really... has to be kept in mind yeah the, any kind of official who is mandating any kind of thing to children has to keep in mind that it will create a stress a trauma for the children which will hinder their development of immune system which will cause uh, you know a, a bad outcome or bad outbreak of diseases in the later future uh, uh, stages and if they have a psychological stress their development will be hindered you know all these things has to be very clearly uh, been uh, you know understood and then uh, children's have to be given educate education regarding these things well i think i so greatly appreciate the clarity with which you just conveyed that truly yes of course mm -hmm. um can we maybe pivot here I think keeping the conversation on children, because I don't know exactly where you're at with this in India, but in North America, the vaccine is due to be approved or authorized under emergency or interim authorization for children aged five to 11. So parents will be facing, you know, a decision around vaccinating their children. and. I don't really want to speak about the children that maybe have special considerations that are unwell and are vulnerable. I think I'd like to keep this discussion more to the generally to the young and healthy. And when we talk about, you know, an intramuscular vaccine for an airborne pathogen, particularly in children, I feel like you can probably offer us some important considerations. Yes. Uh, see, when children are being in muscularly injected with the antigen so this is also you're going to put a stress uh, uh, you know immunological stress into the children's so once you put this immunological stress into their system the system uh, will not naturally produce the antibodies it will be triggered it will be forced to produce antibodies so these forced antibodies production in children's is not going to help in any ways. Say, for example, if you're injecting uh, intramuscular uh, antigens, it will produce IgM antibodies for uh, the antigen which is already injected into the blood. So their innate immune response will be compromised. So their innate immune response will not be uh, boosted. 
so there is no boost of innate immune response the, their mucosal immunity is not boosted so their mucosal and innate immune response are compromised so they will have only igm antibodies produced within their body which is not going to help them for longer time so if they are going if they are getting a secondary infection a second time infection uh, through their nasal uh, nasopharynx or oropharyngeal route their body is not ready to you know comprehend or ready to uh, you know fight back those pathogens so this will lead to severe uh, symptoms in the secondary infections so again this uh, you know igg igm their nalt is not uh, boosted their balt is not boosted that is the uh, uh, nasopharynx associated lymphoid tissue is not uh upregulated their uh, bronchial associated lymphoid tissue is not upregulated so this will lead to severe symptoms when they contract the secondary infections so vaccinating children is always you know and we do not have any any kind of data with vaccinating this uh, with these uh, vaccines so mrna vaccines injecting into children we do not have any data we have zero data regarding this uh, vaccination procedures so with zero data uh, we it is very unethical to uh, you know vaccinate children as experimental procedures and uh, you know it is basically it is not going to help uh, you know in any ways if the children are contracting uh, covid uh, through the natural process so they uh, their uh, survival uh, rates are very high it is 99.98% uh, of uh, survival rate is seen in children till now it is 99.98% so with this survival rate vaccinating children for uh, you know for that 0.019% Uh, uh uh vulnerable children uh, it is it is completely unethical so uh, we have to look into all this uh, data where what is the survival ability of the children uh, and what is the susceptible group you are going to target for vaccination what i mean there is no such kind of susceptible group in children because if they are all they are already having some underlying cause if uh, these children are having uh you know th they have been identified as vulnerable uh, groups so these vulnerable groups of children also can be treated with already uh, uh, you know uh, there are so many procedures we have for treatments if there are obese children they also are not vulnerable for you know getting uh, severe covid conditions they have their own uh, uh, system which can clear off the virus viral load with Uh, some treatment interventions so this okay. is sufficient for the children so vaccinate vaccinating children for uh, you know uh, 0.019% susceptible children is uh, it does not make any sense i i agree i fail to see the logic at all i agree with you it's unethical and i I'm also very uncomfortable with how much campaigning has happened to make people so scared when um the data set on children is is 
is very clear. I have a question, a follow-up for you though, which is when, so the children's superpower is in their mucosal resilience. Yes. In the, in the yes. NALT and in the BALT, right. This associated lymphoid tissue in yes. nasal, oral and bronchial area. Now, right. With the, the vaccine conferring an IgM antibody, it obviously doesn't help at the mucosal level, but does it hinder it? Does it make the innate, innate response of the IgA antibody at the mucosal you know, barrier system, does it hinder it and make it less capable? See, uh when you are injecting antigen and you're forcing the immune system to produce IgM, then your innate response is not triggered. It is not boosted. It, 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 it does not come in contact with the antigen, isn't it? So when uh, the antigen is present in your blood, it produces IgM antibodies as an adaptive immune response. So your uh, innate immune response is not boosted. It, it, it is not triggered for production of IgA and IgG. So IgA, IgG is seen very less in these kind of children who have been intramuscularly injected with the antigen. So, they so it, actually, it actually down-regulates? It down-regulates. Basically, it is not triggered when there are no antigens entering through the natural process. So uh, the IgA and IgG will be triggered, production will be triggered once the antigens enters into the nasopharyngeal and oropharyngeal route. So if the antigens are not entering through the nasopharyngeal and oropharyngeal route, then IgA and IgG uh, levels are almost nil. They are not produced. Right. So once, uh, if they are, you are injecting uh, antigens through intramuscular into the blood directly, so it does not enter into the mucosal lining. So uh, there is a, you know, clear distinction between the muc uh, your uh, uh, root, the respiratory and digestive root, and the blood. Yeah. So that... this distinction will not make uh, the antigens enter into the roots. So there are no uh, IgA and IgG produced much in these patients who are injected intramuscularly. Okay, so let's say a child has this vaccine and they now have circulating IgM, you know, in the blood, and then the pathogen enters through the nose. Will the innate system respond as if the vaccine had never been given? In these kind of children, what happens is IgM is already uh, uh, produced and present in the serum of vaccinated kids. Now, if they contract a secondary infection, they will have IgA produced, IgG produced. Now, IgG is an inflammatory antibody. Now, IgG in, uh, uh, is present in the alveolar region of the lungs. Now, uh, this IgG and IgM together because of vaccination, you, uh, the, the kid may have higher levels of IgM. And uh, because of the secondary infection, uh, the kid may produce more of IgG. 
Now the IgG and IgM both are inflammatory antibodies. Now these inflammatory antibodies may trigger uh, cell-mediated immune responses. Also, it may trigger antibody-dependent cytotoxicities. So this will increase the inflammatory responses in the children's leading to severity of disease, wow. which they are not supposed to have when they contract COVID in a natural process. So this vaccination along with the secondary infection may lead to higher rate of inflammation in these kind of children's, leading to severity of symptoms. So, you know, having this both together may increase their, uh, uh, you know, inflammation, inflammatory responses in their body. Wow. I mean, it's what a crazy time, hey? So if they are going to uh, roll out any uh, vaccination in children's, it will be without any data. So they're going to totally experiment on children. So yeah, so the, the adults... The Pfizer data that I read the Pfizer trial that they yes. did with 12 to 17 year olds and it had it had 1100 and change children in in the control group and the same in the experimental group and they followed they followed 50% of them 55% or something for two months and about 80 some percent for one month. That's all the data they had to approve the 12 to 17 year old shot. So anything with a sensitivity of problems greater than one in a thousand would not have ever been seen. And anything that happened outside of, you know, one to two months would not have been seen. I haven't seen the data that's been submitted currently for the five to 11 year olds, but again, it was a very short study and I don't know how many um, people, children were enrolled in the study because it hasn't been released for review. It's in review with Health Canada and the FDA in the US currently. Yeah, right. So anyways, uh, whatever that data has been uh, produced with survivability of 99 point. Yeah. I mean, really, you come back to that and it's all very clear, isn't it? I just want to take a moment here as we wrap this amazing episode with Dr. Laika whose name I've been practicing and I'm sure I'm butchering it. So I apologize. But I think that the takeaway here for everyone is in remembering or becoming aware of for many people the first time why children have such superpowers with these airborne novel airborne pathogens because they literally from an evolutionary perspective are um, put in a position to become educated in their immune system through this pathway, and they are amazing at resolving them. There are some very smart things we can do to support them and everyone of all ages, which is number one, keep your front door clean. So take care of your mucosal membranes with good hydration, with um, steaming, with the appropriate nutrition. and Nutrition supplements supplements, keep it clean and breathing exercises too. We didn't touch on that, but, you know, I think that there's a lot of really positive things here. Of course, there's some concerning realities we're all facing, but we have a lot of power to improve our resilience 
to airborne pathogens simply by taking care of our mucosal system. Of course, yes. Thank you, Dr. Laika, for gracing us with your kindness and your immense brain power and sharing with us all this information. Of course, I'm very delighted to be uh, on your show, uh, Judy Brown. And thank you so much for inviting me for your uh, educative episode. Thank you. My pleasure. I look forward to staying in connection with you and um, learning all that you have to offer. And maybe we'll do something together again in the future. Of course, of course, yes. We will be doing something really good. I will be, uh, you know, inviting some more uh, of my colleagues to be uh, talking on this uh, particular topics, which are related to natural, uh, innate, and adaptive uh, immunities. I mean, this is really what everyone needs right now, right? We just need to give people the tools to empower themselves. Of course, yes, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so very much for joining me today. Together, we can light the way to better health for you and our planet. You can help make this happen by subscribing, sharing this with a friend, and reaching for the stars in a review. If you would like to join me in a conversation or have a request, please reach out. I'm all ears. Check out juliebrown.health for resources and tools to help you on your way. Stay curious and keep learning.